I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The Telegraph. The Telegraph. Podcasts. Hello and welcome to Brian Moore's Full Contact in association with Telegraph and QBE Business Insurance. I'm Brian Moore and joining me in the studio today is former Lions and Island Centre Rob Henderson. Coming up on the podcast, we'll be going over the weekend's explosive semi-final action and we've got with us Exeter's fly half Gaz Seenton, former Saracens and Leicester hooker George Shooter to discuss the Premiership action. Whilst former Ireland centre James Downey will talk about the Pro 12 tours, Tinas Delport will give us Super Rugby's updates, and uh, Rugby Football League's Rugby Director Kevin Senfield will be talking about the Magic Weekend with us. Nigel Owens is back as always, and he's had a weekend off, so he should be fresh and he'll be answering all your Rugby Law questions. Remember that every week you can join us on Facebook live at 6pm, just search for Telegraph Sport, and you can listen to the whole show live on the Telegraph website. Remember, please subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode. And please also leave a review. Right, on with the show. Rob, uh, we try to feature um, as many reasonable questions as we can from listeners. We've got quite a few sensible ones this week, so we'll get cracking. Um, Steve Roach, um, regarding shortening the Lions tours, why can't the leagues every four years not have playoffs and play the Euro Cups in one block? I think it's a. I think it's a good question. Um, mm-hmm. When we look at the Lions tours of these days, they're only actually seven or eight weeks. That the teams, no, the, 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 the less, the less in that the teams are together. Together, yes, together, including yeah. preparation. If yeah. you look back to the obviously the uh, the, the early years, the sixties uh, and seventies, you're away for two or three months. So, yeah. I think if you start de- uh, shortening the, the the tours, you're going to not actually. The players aren't going to understand fully what it is to be a line and be part of that. We've, yeah. we've both been there and seen it and done it. Yeah. Um, and obviously the uh, the Australian, South Africans, New Zealanders and other people watching around the globe won't have the opportunity to watch a fantastic mm-hmm. team um, play against the, the, the greats in the world. So I think actually shortening the domestic season is a far better idea. Well, one of the things that uh, they've been looking at in trying to get the consistent uh, season is shortening the Six Nations so they can have consolidated blocks um, I what, what are your feelings? Because I I'm against playoffs in in general because I think they're a bit of a money making exercise. I think I understand that you need to compensate maybe for uh, the loss of internationals around the autumn uh, internationals and the Six Nations. But now that not as many fixtures actually take part on those weekends, and that's what squads are for as well. I can't see the justification is there as much as it used to be. I, mean, I know early on. 
some sides were very much affected. I know to a certain extent some others are now, but they've they've had time to even those out. And fewer because of the way that the Six Nations is going into five now. You're you're getting another weekend which is is, is being freed up. So. I think there's less and less justification for that in general. But the thing is, it makes such a lot of money for people. And um, we've just had two cracking uh, sort of premiership ones. So uh, can you ever see that changing voluntarily from the, cl- the clubs changing it? Uh, I, th- I think if you ask all of the, uh, the the club owners, they'd rather have their players fit and firing uh, on a regular basis, week in, week out. And financially it's obviously beneficial if you're in the top four Um, it makes it exciting for the last few weeks of the season for for teams to try and fight into that to get a top four playoff but are we devaluing the fact that after a long hard season you've battered each other week in week out that whoever finishes top ultimately might not win the league well I tell tell you what they should definitely at least do is in rugby league they've sorted this out because if you finish top, you get a trophy, you get something of note, mm. uh, and then you go on to the playoffs. Well, there is that, but at the same time, what they're doing there is they're expanding their season by another three or four games. Yeah. What we're talking about here, are we talking about the, the financial implications for the teams, or are we talking about player welfare and preservation? Well, I think yeah. if we're talking about that, and we're trying to talk about expanding the brand and making the international sides more competitive, especially mm. Southern Hemisphere, Northern Hemisphere, to, to bridge that kind of gap that's yeah. there, because there still is a gap... Um, then I think the players do need to have their rest. And, and, and I'm fully behind all the players saying we do need two great weekends within the Six Nations. I think, uh, I mean, there's three things we're talking about here. The well, break well, in the one, six of the, nations. one of those is going to go. Well, one of them is, and, yeah. and, and I'm not convinced that that's, uh, that's for the good of the players. To yep. be perfectly honest with you, I think all that does is benefit the clubs. It means that the uh, the commodity that's there as a player is there to be rolled mm-hmm. out week in, week out. Obviously, the, the paying public in the UK get to see quality players more regularly, but are they seeing quality players who aren't actually at 100% fitness? Well, it certainly, and I'm just thinking about this in a wider extension, it certainly favours um, big unions like England who've got more depth. Mm. You know, for Scotland to cover... You know, injuries that come is more difficult than, than England and France. But anyway, uh, let's move on. Uh, Mark Jones has a question here. Ultimately, is it good for the Lions that Saracens lost yesterday? <laughs> uh, from a selfish perspective, I think yes, it is. Uh, obviously, you want your uh, you want your quality players going out there with uh, with a bit of rest period and being able to wind down. To be honest with you, uh, I'm sure we'll talk about that match yesterday um, in some detail later on. But uh, to have your, I mean five, six, seven Lions that, that now don't have to play in, a, in a, a Premiership final, being able to have that extra week to be able to take stock, to, to tidy up any injuries and fitness issues they have and be able to actually hit the ground running fully, uh, I think can only benefit I'll the Lions. I'll tell you what, the, the, the ideal would have been for the Lions is for Saracens players not to have been injured but to have won both because it'd been an absolute high then. But, you know, of the two, you want the players, uh, from a selfish Lions point of view, to be fit. Absolutely. Absolutely. If you look Absolutely. at the way the fixtures have come out, um, obviously the uh, the Champions Cup victory, back-to-back champions, um, obviously I'd, I'd say that one or two of them might have had a lager shandy last weekend and uh, and that was probably evident in their performance this weekend. Yeah. But whichever way round it went, um, it was a fantastic game, but, but those players now have uh, an opportunity yeah. to rest and recharge. Well, David says, uh, we've covered this actually, are the playoffs money-making machines, tired players getting injured, Demeans League football, finishing positions, I think we've we've covered that. Um, well, just, well, I tell you what, we'll end uh, um, with, a, with a, these two. Um, did anyone jump out of this from Rookie Rugby? Did anyone jump out yesterday for you to suggest that they should have warranted a line selection that didn't get one? 
Always a difficult one. This. It's it's a very difficult one. You've got players that have been performing well all through the season. Um, I mean, I think uh, I think young young Wade over the course of the season he'll find himself a little bit disappointed, not necessarily over the weekend, uh, not to get selection, but. Um, but everyone's opinion around Lions selection and, and, and Lions time. I suppose Launchbury, you know, again, another man of the match performance um, in the semi-final. That was always going to be contentious, always has been contentious. Um, it, it depends, yeah. to be honest with you, it depends which country you're sitting in and which media you're listening to. Absolutely. It's I try as to simple as that. I, I try to explain this to people. It's as simple as that. that you know, you're, you've got an Irish perspective on things and people do really see it down. And I tell you what, there's nothing wrong with that. It's simply you see your players more. Correct. And you appreciate them more because you've seen them, you know. And, and, and I remember when Alex Corbusiero hmm. came out in um, the last tour. And I remember saying to people on, on social media, this lad is really good. Mm. He's really talented. He's, just te- he's technically very proficient. And people just hadn't seen him from the other leagues. And I said, why is he here? Yeah, I mean, he, tur- he turns up with a meat pie in one of the test matches. <laughs> and I mean, <laughs> yeah, exactly. the proof of the pudding's yeah. in the eating there. But yeah. it depends where you are. I mean, if, you, yeah. if, you're a, if you're a Scottish media and you're sitting there, you'll be screaming, pulling your hair out, wondering why one of the greys isn't going. Mm. Um, obviously, there's a lot of talk about Launchbury. And mm. from uh, from my perspective, I think Ringrose is slightly unfortunate. I but, think Ringrose is unfortunate. Because um, I think he offers something different. Yeah, I think if you've got a lot of samey-samey, obviously um, Gatti knows what he's doing. He's been out and he's won a Lions series. He's won Grand Slams. He, he knows what it means to win over there. Have you been coached by one? Yeah. Yes, yeah. you have, haven't you? Yes. Yeah, I was... Uh, uh, Gatti uh, was one of the best coaches that I had because he, he drew the extra... Uh, 1% out of each player. He uh-huh. wasn't trying to reinvent the wheel and uh, and obviously he's got a winning formula. He's won things wherever he's gone. Um, I mean, unfortunately, in his first season when he took over, I think he was 34, 35 when he took over Ireland. He had a 100% record that season. Uh, we didn't win a match. But... Uh, <laughs> But clearly, you've got to start somewhere, and uh, and and his mindset that he that. But the following season, we yeah. were really competitive because yeah. we knew what he wanted, and right. uh, and and I think he's a, he's a brilliant uh, a brilliant leader mm-hmm. for the Lions this time around again. And a final one from Alex Gaze. Um, I watched some of the Southern Hemisphere games and the Premiership games. They look so different. Why do you think that is? Well, um, it's like this, Alex. <laughs> I got into a lot of trouble uh, a while ago. <laughs> funny, 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 funny that <laughs> by saying that, uh, that that Super Rugby wasn't real real rugby, and I didn't I didn't mean to demean it. What I meant was it's not like Test match rugby. And however you see it, however intense it is, however quick it is, it's not like Test match rugby because there is a buy-in in Super Rugby between the coaches, the players, and the referees that they want this to be an attractive game to watch, and they are because you're not relegated. They don't have to scrap, you know, for, for survival. And so everyone is bought into the, uh, the ethos that you will let games go as far as you can. You know, you won't be negative and kill the ball at breakdowns uh, and people try to be positive. That doesn't happen in test matches. Everyone scraps as much. And that's principally why the thing is different, because it's, it's, it is real rugby. You know, the handling is sensational. The speed is fantastic. The skill sets are probably higher than the Northern Hemisphere ones, but there is an agreement that everyone will play in a positive fashion, which makes a difference in that you don't get some of the games that you get over here in the domestic games, which are just attritional slogging battles where people are just trying to kill each other to survive. I could I could boil that down, Morrow, to uh, to a very simple uh, a very simple equation. If you're Go on, then. if you're a, a, a Chiefs fan or a Hurricanes fan or a Brumbies fan or or whoever. 
Um, you're interested in watching a 32 points to 30 victory with your team coming out and bonus points being scored left, right yeah. and centre. Whereas in the Norm- Northern Hemisphere, we can uh, we can somehow find the beauty in a 9-6 thriller. Yes. And and that, and that is bo- that is borne out by crowds, you know, because the, the, the Super Rugby has always been a good product in that sense. It's getting faster. The crowds are getting smaller when the points totals are getting bigger for both sides. And you're probably seeing some of the best rugby you've ever seen in the um, Super Rugby from especially the new the Kiwi sides. And yet the crowds are not keeping pace with it. And that's got to be a worry for them because, you, I mean, I know TV money pays for most of it, but they can't go on, um, you know, with dwindling crowds, not least because it's no, no fun to play in or watch, will yeah. you? Yeah, absolutely. It's like day five on a on a test match. There's, yeah. no, there's yeah. no one in the stands. But but um, with with Super Rugby, I mean, there's no doubt, and everyone will say that it's very exciting, free flowing, ball flying everywhere. I mean, just look at the the, the body composition of these players nowadays. Yes, yep. they're, they're all big, quick, fit, but their lean muscle mass is enormous. And yep. uh, and actually, I think in the world, the last World Cup, they'd actually stripped down two or three kilos just so that from one to twenty three, these yep. guys are mobile, agile, and able to hand the ball across the park. Yep. Yep. And that's probably the difference between them, uh, Southern Hemisphere and Northern Hemisphere rugby at the moment. Mm-hmm. That uh, that comfort with the ball in hand, that willingness to look for space, no matter what numbers on your back. Yeah, that, that's a good. Um, I think that's, I think we, we've we've covered that in full. All right, let's have a look at the the other interesting games that came out of it. Northampton squeezing through against Connaught, twenty one fifteen. I thought that would be the case. I think uh, you know Connaught have done tremendously well. It was always going to be difficult for them to repeat the successes that they had. Last year, yeah, second. absolutely. Um, I mean, Connacht, Connacht last year. If if this game had taken place last year, then you'd probably have had a, a small wager on Connacht winning yep. up in uh, Franklin's Gardens. But uh, but uh, Mr. Mallander, he's, he's he's got a good squad up there. Connacht obviously didn't hit the straps this year, even though finished mid-table, just outside the Champions Cup places. But going to Franklin's Gardens, you've been there, I've been there. It's it's not an easy place to go. And uh, and with young Mallander scoring so many points, yeah. he's obviously made his dad happy, the rest <laughs> of his teammates happy. So yeah, you know, I was at school with Jim Mallander. He was two years below me. What were you teaching him? Uh, I wasn't teaching him anything. He, he had a sister who was a year below me. He was a hurdler. Was, she, was, she was lovely. And she wouldn't have anything to do with me because he had taste. Yeah, um, so there you go. Um, Stade Francais, 46. Cardiff Blues, 21. Now, I didn't expect Cardiff to win mm. because I don't know why this underperforming franchise, or that, not, not true, not franchise, club, have not done better. I mean, it's a mystery to me because... Iconic name, great location, should 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 be doing better. Yeah, well, they have quality players as well, but let's not take our eye off the ball. Stade Francais uh, have just won the uh, the uh, the Challenge Cup. That's true, and yeah. they've played extremely well there. Uh, and when you when you've won a trophy and you've got uh, your eyes set out, I mean, they they are absolutely. Uh, Deserve it of that victory, and, yes. to, and any any time you go to France is not going to be an easy, uh, yeah. an, e- an easy victory. I've been there many times and come off the back of a, a, some quite searing defeats. But yeah. uh, but when you do go down there, you have to hit your straps all the time. And I'm not sure that Cardiff went down mm. there in peak condition. In peak Monsters, form. Monster Ospreys, Monster Twenty Three Ospreys, Three um, Ospreys have frankly they've been not particularly good in the last few weeks. I mean they're. Early season form was great, which is why they ended up where they are. Um, but they've been tearing off a bit. And Munster, 
they it were never it was quite comfortable in the end, wasn't it? It was. I mean, it wasn't uh, it wasn't uh, a glamorous fixture. There weren't uh, the ball flying around everywhere. Uh, obviously, the Ospreys have I think have lost four of the last five matches going into that game, and uh, no one ever wins the league in November. So yeah. you, you've got to perform all the way through a season to get to finals. And going over there, they actually played quite well uh, with ball in hand, but they never looked as though they were going to break the line. They never looked uh, that penetrative. And uh, and Munster do what Munster do with the with the 16th man in the crowd and just ground it out. And and a couple of uh, a couple of turnover mistakes with uh, Saeeli uh, scoring the, yeah. the very first one on the left. It, it was always only going to be one way. Well, of course, I mean they they were at home, and you very rarely see away wins. But Scarlets, I mean, I I genuinely did not see Scarlets beating Leinster and to do it with a man down for a yeah. you know I know that you, you can you can always argue about red cards but uh, you know if you tip tackle someone as a player you're you're playing with fire because you don't have any control by definition and it depends how the player lands as to what happens to you so you know I, I don't I don't think they they can argue about that they might not argue whether or not he gets extra um, uh, weeks but it was a tremendous, uh, it was a tremendous win. Yeah, I think we should talk about the performance as opposed to individual yeah. uh, um, technicalities. But uh, for the, I think the Scarlets are the only away side to have won in the semi-finals of the Pro yes. Twelve. Yes. Um, and obviously at the RDS, Leinster, are, 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 they've made that a fortress. They've absolutely made that a fortress. And uh, obviously, young Ringrose scoring again. He's only rubber stamped his uh, his his qualifications for for being uh, next on the phone for the Lions. But the Scarlets to go over there and to win and to win in the way that they did uh, have set down an absolute marker and uh, and I don't think that uh, the final against Munster will hold any um, any fear for them having gone to the RDS having beaten Leinster in their own backyard they're a quality outfit and uh, and, and and that for me is going to be an exceptional match next week. Who do you think will come out winning? Well, Munster will win it clearly, but uh, <laughs> but there's no bias going on there. Based, based on based on what? Based on. <laughs> Based on Munster will win it as simple as that. Sorry to sorry to all my Scarlet's friends, but uh, but no, I, th- I think uh, for the, for the year that's been in it and uh, for for the for the ride that uh, uh, that, that Munster have been on ever since uh, obviously the, the the tragedy last October, it uh, it would be a fitting end to a, to a season. A couple of uh, a couple of the side are leaving. Uh, Donica Ryan's leaving at the end of the year, so he's leaving mm-hmm. end of the year, and what a, what a fitting way and a fitting tribute to to sign off. Um, and I think we all know who I'm talking about and uh, what a fitting way to, to, to finish the season with a trophy in the cabinet and maybe a small dedication. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, we will be talking in in, de- in detail with George Shooter and Gareth Steenson about the two uh, premiership uh, semi-finals or playoff games. But um, just very quickly, do you think... Uh, there were, do you think it was a surprise that the Chiefs beat Saracens? For for me, it was definitely. I mean, obviously, uh, uh, Sarri's going for the double double, and uh, and they've been slowly grinding um, g- grinding wins out and spanking sides one week, and then grinding them out another week. But uh, uh, I think it's fitting that the top two in the league are actually in the uh, yeah. are in the final. Um, but to go down to, to to Sandy Park and play down in Exeter is it's not an easy place to go. And turning around with a big wind uh, at six all, then you're, you're putting yourself mm. under a huge amount of pressure. Um, I think the fact that they lost um, Rhodes and Ashton so early. early. Um, I mean, uh... because I tell you what, the thing is, they, they've got quality replacements, mm. but the way that um, game plans are, uh, you know, they are well planned now. 
it requires you to make substitutions at different times, doesn't it? Not you don't want them forced on you early, even though you've got the capability, mm. because of the the finely honed as to who does what and what contribution comes in. Mm. And although you can put people in and they'll they'll slot in, it's just not the way that you would ideally do it. And uh, you know, certainly in, in my day, well, in my day, you couldn't come off, so um, mm. you just had to get on with it. But I mean, you played in the days when they were they started to have substitutions and so on. It's even more refined now, isn't it? The way that they 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 target the specifics and then how they how they manage these uh, the squads. Yeah, I mean the buzzwords nowadays are these are my starters, these are my finishers, and yeah. if you've got to bring your finisher on after fifteen minutes, then then obviously you've got to pray that he's got enough petrol in the tank to last the sixty-five yeah. instead of the thirty-five that he's yeah. meant to be playing for. So there, there is that that slight nuance. But then again, these guys are all professional rugby players that that that, that actually get paid to to, to do an eighty-minute job. Oh, so oh, and what about what about Wasp Leicester? The right result? Uh I think so. I think it was a great performance by Leicester. Um, yeah. Wasps have been flying it this season up at Coventry. They've got a, a, a new uh, a new lease of life. Uh, fantastic to see such big crowds going up there and yeah. getting behind the team. Yeah. Uh, shows that the, the, the move is an absolute positive and not just a money-spinning exercise because, uh, because people are certainly getting behind them. Leicester came down, obviously, um, with with a bit of a point to prove. I mean, they're two of the powerhouses of, uh, of Premiership mm. rugby, and uh, and Leicester having an indifferent season, but coming down and showing that that power, that desire, and that defensive attitude um, to actually get so close to to the line. Uh, mm. I mean, there's a contentious issue in that match actually that we might bring up later yeah. on, um, but I think uh, Wasps have just got just had enough firepower to get over the line at the end. In association with QBE Business Insurance principal partner of the British and Irish Lions. Let's continue with the show. Um, and we can now hopefully speak to the Saracens and Leicester hooker, George Shooter, who was at the Wasps-Leicester game yesterday. George, are you there? Yes, I am. Or I could speak to you, mate. Yeah, mate. Um, now then, uh, you've got to give credit, actually, whatever happened to Leicester for the manner in which they've conducted themselves post, um, well... <laughs> but at the end, towards the end of the season, yeah. uh, no side's ever gone through having three managers. I didn't think they would, but they came very close, didn't they? Yeah, they did. Well, they, they did sack three coaches. People tend to forget that Scott Hansen went before Christmas and then obviously yes. Richard Cockle and then Aaron Major. So, yeah, but yeah I mean, it's, a, it's been a hell of a turnover. And uh, I mean, I can just imagine what it's like as a player. We, we, I've been involved in a season where we've lost a coach and had to deal with, yeah. deal with that. But yeah, losing three is... Uh, uh, yeah, quite, quite, quite a challenge to get around for the whole club, but not just the players, the whole club. What do you, to what extent do you? Because th- I, I commented on this and said that actually, of all the teams, Wasps probably wouldn't want to play Leicester because it was effectively a Midlands derby now, yeah. um, and there were enough fans to get across there, and there were enough tickets available. By the way, you know, from to make a sizable noise, which, which they did. How much do you think that uh, was? A, you know, helped them. Yeah, I think it helped them a fair bit, to be honest, more. I mean, a lot of the chat straight after the Worcester game when all the uh, dust had settled and the placement and, and the top four placements were there, a lot of the chat was, oh, yeah, from Leicester was, oh, we'd much rather play at Wasps than go down to a Sandy Park or even go to Allianz. I know Allianz uh, was unlikely to be a venue, but I think of the three, the top three clubs, um, Leicester on paper just match up so much better against Wasps than mm. the other two and there's a bit of history behind that there. Saracens have yeah. been a bit of a Bowie club Exeter a bit of a bit of a Bowie club whereas Wasps uh, in, in recent history uh, the record uh, down at the Rico for Leicester is, is actually not too bad George hi it's Hendo here how are you mate? Okay, good to speak to you mate yeah. 
You're a good man, good man. Uh, by the way, I can beat three coaches in a season. When I, <laughs> I, uh, I was one of the, I was one of the fortunate few to go down to Toulon, and well, I think right, yeah. I think we lost five in the first four months. Yeah, I'm just careless. That's yeah, just, careless. just careless. I mean, I think I think one of them is still floating around Biarritz somewhere. But um, yeah. uh, and and unbelievably or incredibly, uh, we lost in the semi-finals against La Rochelle as well. And 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 that sort of disruption doesn't help players, does it? No, it, it definitely doesn't. And I think uh, when you when you sort of interview a player, that yeah yeah, we're just we're getting back to work on Monday. And they were just going to get past that. That's that's just talking. I mean, the reality is you got to deal with a whole new boss, mm. uh, a new fit, a new, a new idea about playing, a new voice, uh, lots of stuff. I mean, the fact that Matt O'Connor's been there before it is largely irrelevant. He's, he's not been there for four years, and mm. the majority of the squad at the moment would not have worked with him. Yeah. Uh, so you know, it's it's a massive upheaval and, uh, and shouldn't be underestimated, to be honest. What do you think he did then that, that managed to stabilise and and galvanise their efforts so quickly? Well, I think with Matt, he's just a, he's a really pragmatic bloke, and uh, yeah, often, often he, I mean, believe it or not, he played in the centres when he was a player. But he, he, I think when you see an Australian backs coach, everyone thinks, oh, yeah, the ball's going to be uh, slung around, and there's going to be lots of lots of fancy stuff. But Matt's much more pragmatic. He he, he obviously recognises that you have to go forward and get good ball, and he likes a good driving mall to play off. Yeah. Uh, plays. A, I think he's he's just it just suits the uh, English game probably a bit more than um, your you average uh, Southern Hemisphere coach does. So I guess in in the time he's been here, which is what two months, uh, six weeks, he's probably just sort of gone back to basics. So look, we're going to try and um, keep things fairly simple. Uh, he's actually quite a good defence coach. Well, I don't know how much defence coach he's been doing, um, but that that's another another thing he, he knows all about. So uh, it's it's just not really trying to reinvent the wheel and mm-hmm. dealing with what he's got. I think that's what he's quite good at. I thought if if Leicester were going to have a chance that they really had to do a job on Wasps up front, and I thought they were capable of doing that, certainly in the scrum, and they did a partial, yeah. they did a partial job, just couldn't quite get there. Do you think, what do you think it would have been, do you think they could have carried it if they'd have just been able to get a little bit more dominance there? Yeah, well, I mean, there, there was a, a period just after half-time where uh, Leicester had a scrum on their own ball and, and squeezed uh, Wasps and got a penalty. I think actually it was the first penalty in the game from the scrum. And then they booted it down the corner and put them under pressure. I thought, and I think on commentary, I said, yeah, this could be a key point. If if Wasps start to creak now up front, Leicester can then just turn that screw and put put the ball in the corner, play it, play it in there, sort of end. And I think the game would have turned out very different. Um, I was very surprised actually at how well um, how well Wasps scrummaged for a start. But yeah, their, their lineout didn't function very well, which is not unusual for Wasps. But uh, actually, I was really impressed with the Leicester defensive lineout, and they clearly done a lot of homework yeah. and. That that alone, plus plus the defence, obviously could have won the game. And if they had won, that, that that for me was a key point. They just every ball, apart from two or three that, that was through, was either heavily contested and knocked on, or stolen, or you know, bobbled mm. around. It was just a really good effort up front. And uh, yeah, like you say, that if, if a scrum had just managed to get a bit more of a foothold. Uh, the result would have been different, I think. George, it's uh, it's one of those things that these games are won on uh, on fine margins, yeah. And something that's actually been in the uh, in the in the in the news and and uh, is under a lot of severe scrutiny these days is obviously the uh, the head impacts and yeah. collisions. Now, obviously, getting off the line in the last few minutes there, uh, Freddie Burns come flying off the line um, and appeared. To, to stay down, whether he was knocked out or not, I don't know. But ultimately, that did lead to the uh, to the winning try. Now, yeah. it is one it is one and lost on fine margins. What's your interpretation of what should have happened at that moment? Well, I mean, I think the, the general consensus is if, if someone's knocked out, then um, almost the game stops. I, I don't think that was the case yesterday. It was 
uh, there was no clear. I mean, what happens sometimes is players will run by and try and alert the referee, say this guy's out and, and all that, and the, and the medics will actually on. The referee will blow his whistle and they'll restart the scrum eventually. But I mean, it's just such a such a big call in a tight uh, tight part of the game, and uh, it's such a big game. I, I mean, I, 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 obviously you don't want people to get injured, but I think the the end of the game was 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 right. It just it was playing on, and he, actually I think he got knocked out in the phase before. That's right. Uh, well, he got hit hurt in the phase before the try. So really. If they come back the other way, then it might be an issue. But they went yeah. the same way, and um, and fantastic execution has to be said. But I think it was pretty much uh, pretty much right to be honest. I wouldn't have looked, I wouldn't have liked to see the game stop then. Put yeah. it that way. George, did you did you think was there a genuine feeling from you as a you know, as lesser man um, that you got it at any point? Yes. Yeah, I really I really thought just after half time, as I said, Wasps came out quite sluggish, and they've done that before. Uh, I've been at a couple of games, Leicester Wasps games at the Rico, and they've started like a, a train. And then the second half, they've always tailed off, and then had a bit of a spurt at the end. So I think if Leicester had got on top in that in that sort of 15 minutes when they had a lot of possession, a lot of territory in Wasps third, um, if they scored if they scored a try, then maybe maybe a try and a penalty. But I think the game would have been over. And I think I I expected them to, to be honest, because. Some of the guys there who are playing are very experienced. Freddie Burns is, is playing pretty tactically very well at the moment. Ben Youngs, those sort of guys, they know what's required. And I think they dropped the ball. And probably for me, that's the biggest improvement they've got to make next year is yeah. their attack. I think their attack was just a little bit flat all game. I know they, they scored two tries, two very good tries. But actually, in, in that period, they could have killed the game off. Two or three tries in that period could easily have come. Whereas uh, it, I, I, they, they just didn't look very sharp. Whereas Wasps in, in attack looked fantastic all game. They, they looked like they score almost every time they uh, they got the ball. So much more variety, so much more uh, inventiveness in their play compared to, to Leicester. So, but I, I did think at that time, yeah, I thought, right, this is it. Just put your foot on them now, get, turn the screw, put them down the end, keep them down there. The game's, the game's there 2-1. George, just on, just on that note with uh, uh, about Young Burns, I mean, obviously, I think he's had a, a fine season this yeah. year. Um and uh, we're almost going to uh, Premier League soccer here because we've got a transfer coming up. Yeah, we've got yeah. Burns going one way and you've got Fordy coming the other. Yeah. Um, do you think that Leicester would have been best placed holding on to Burns because he has been playing so well this year, give him his, uh, give him his reins for next year? Or, or how do you think that that, that that switch is going to benefit this Leicester team uh, and ultimately benefit Ford as well? Uh, do you know what? I, I think the whole situation to me stinks to be perfectly honest just the, the way it was all handled and Freddie's been very candid in the, in the press this yes, week has, about um, how he thought things were going and then suddenly things were turned around and, and you're right mate it, it sort of does look a bit like football now mm. um, I, I think from a merit point of view to be, to be perfectly honest Freddie um, probably didn't start playing his best rugby until that news came out so it was almost as if he had a point to prove um, but for the, the, the last sort of two or three months of the season, he's been fantastic. And mm. I, I mean, George Ford is a good player. Don't get me wrong, but he's going to have to go a hell of a long way to, to play as well as Freddie Burns has played. I tell you the other um, thing. The other thing as well, George, is that you know he's Ford. He's potentially going to be away quite a yeah. lot. Well, this is another thing, mate. We've got, we've got uh, various numbers. Say four hundred fifty thousand pounds on a player who's going to be missing for probably a third of your season, certainly nearly half of your league season. Mm. So. It, it, they're losing Owen Williams, they're losing Freddie Burns, and replacing with one guy who's going to be here probably about as much as those were, <laughs> to be mm. honest, with their injuries. So yeah, it, it looks strange on the outside, and again, you, you want the, you want the best players to be playing for you if possible, but it just looked like a, a very odd bit of business, and, and like I said, the whole the whole sort of the way it was handled was was shocking in my view. Well, bearing that in mind. Uh, Matt O'Connor is going to be in there for a pre-season. That yeah. makes a big difference. He can work with players and 
and all the uh, he has to sort out the imports and exports. Yeah. What's what are the prospects for for Tigers next year, as far as you're concerned? Yeah, I think they're pretty bright. I mean, the the, the I don't know. The, sort of the last two or three years, there's always been a, a, um, a criticism about the Tigers about they're just sort of a bit stale and they're going they're going nowhere. In fact, they were going backwards rapidly at one point. I think it's almost like a, a new broom's come in. I know again, I know he's an old broom because he's been here before, but a new broom's come in. And the players look a lot more energetic at times now. They, they look they look like they want to play now. Um, and that's not a criticism of Aaron, May- Aaron Major or Richard mm-hmm. Cocker. It's just that sometimes you 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 get a bit stale, don't you? Yeah. Um, and I think yeah, I'm, I'm not a massive believer in thinking, oh, you know, we, we lost the game, we played really well, and that's going to, you know, we're going to we're going to go on from here because that's not how it works. You're away now for probably two months or so, and you'll go elsewhere with other teams and that. So the actual euphoria or whatever you want to call it of yesterday will will, will be gone pretty soon. Um, but what you've got is a group of like, group of guys who've actually been through a lot of ups and downs and that's quite character building as a squad it's quite yeah. character building as um as individual so i think they're probably probably in a pretty good position to be honest and certainly in a much better position than uh, they would have done if if you'd asked them at christmas where yes. you know, they, were, they were struggling to get in the top six um and like you say matt being there for the whole pre-season will, will sort of add a bit of stability and um a bit of familiarity to those guys that don't know him so well so yeah i, I think they're, they're in a pretty good shape to be honest well, something uh, to end on a positive note, which, as you said at Christmas, you wouldn't have thought of. George Shooter, thank you very much. <laughs> no problem at all. Cheers, George. Cheers. Moving rapidly on, we can speak to uh, Gareth Steenson, uh, a man who I imagine is quite chuffed about uh, about yesterday. Gareth, is that true? Uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> feeling pretty good about it, to be honest. Um, but... If, uh, overall, I think you know it's still very much there's still a job very much to be done. It's definitely a different feeling we had last year. It was more the excitement that we've made a final, but uh, yeah. this year's very much right. We've got ourselves to the final now. Let's make sure we get get the job done and get the win. And that is a big psychological shift because it, it is you you can say what you like, but as a player, when you've reached finals and things like that, you do become excited because especially the first time, and quite often. You make the mistake of thinking, well, we are taking this seriously. But it's not until you come away from that and you face it again that you think, actually, we didn't have the right mindset because we were too satisfied with just getting there last time. Uh, and this time, uh, it has to be different. Is, will that be the case with you? Yeah, very much so. I think um, like the feeling even we had in the, you know, on the way home from the game last year, we kind of looked around and actually were patting ourselves in the back a wee bit mm-hmm. coming out of that. The best way I can sort of describe it really at the minute is it's, I've got that sort of feeling again like it's back to when we were in the looking for promotion whenever we were in the championship playoff I remember that first game in the first playoff game we it almost felt like half time and it's slightly feeling a wee bit like that again which is a good we're in a good place I think mentally as a squad and uh, yeah we're, we're obviously very pleased and with how things went yesterday um, and now going back into tomorrow we'll come in we'll be very critical of ourselves and Make sure we're we're hitting the pitch hard next week, yeah. Well, for for much of for much of the game, I thought you you looked the the more cogent side, but I wondered uh, tactically when maybe you could have uh, maybe you could have you, you not kicked uh, for for touch and you know maybe maybe shots at goal. And, uh, was that a was that a prearranged thing or was were the decisions made you know uh, as as it went along? No, I just sort of felt, well, I know in the first half, definitely, there was a definite breeze in her face, and mm-hmm. I know what it's like at Sandy Park at times, and to be honest with you, the, the feeling at the time when it was like 6-0 down, and, and for the sake of the kick, it was 
it wasn't a guaranteed three points, and it almost felt like we needed to just put a wee bit of pressure and a bit of territory on Saracens and go to our driving game a little bit for the sake of, you know, if we had to knock the three points over, we'd be back in our 22, and we'd have to exit again. So it was just more a conscious thing, maybe to potentially run the clock down and, you know, put a bit of pressure on that we hadn't already put on at that point. Hi, Gareth, it's Rob here. How are you doing, Roger? Yeah, not too bad, not too bad. Um, yeah, I mean, I've, I fully agree with you because whenever you're playing uh, into a breeze, you always want to try and keep the ball in hand. And, and actually, with the, with the uh, with the way that you played the game yesterday, which I thought was was a fantastic performance, by the way, um, you're trying to grind down their their big guys up front and uh, and actually suck the suck the energy out of them before they're actually going to face into it because you know they're going to do the same in the second half. So with the wind, was it with, without the wind into the wind? Was it your uh, mindset to keep the ball in play as much as you could to get to get the malls going uh, to, and to keep it relatively tight, or, or was that something that uh, that, that you talked about during the week? No, we we very much went with a game plan to put a lot of tempo in the game. Mm. We felt that uh, we wanted to keep the ball in the park as long as we could. We felt, obviously, Saracens are a big, heavy pack, and they're coming off a very physical game the week before, and we were very fortunate to have two weeks to get ready for that game. And we, we very much felt that we'd seen areas in their game where we felt that we could actually, if we kept the ball in the park, they would start to fatigue, and we started to see those sort of things happen in front of us, which gave us great belief and confidence in what we were trying to do. And albeit we didn't get the scores, we didn't you know break them down um, at that time, but... You know, we reaped the rewards as we went forward, but obviously they came back at us very strong as well, which we knew they would do. Um, but, you know, we're very happy to come out on the right side of it there. And and how much was that desire? Because I, I've i played in uh, in finals and, and won and lost, and you and uh, I hate losing more than I like winning. How much was that in the back of, uh, of, of yours and the rest of the squad's mind uh, going into yesterday? Obviously, Saris have already uh, got one half of the double-double going. Um, to, to actually not be in a position to... Because losing in the semi-final is the, is the worst time to lose in any competition. And how much was that a driving force for you yesterday? Oh, it was huge. You know, like like I said, our whole season was riding on, on that game. We put so much effort to get ourselves a home semi-final and we were very much... We wanted to be at Sandy Park and the buzz whenever we arrived at the ground, even for the warm-up an hour and a half before the game, you know, it was goosebump stuff. You know, so we were definitely... We could feel the passion from the crowd and... It definitely lifted the boys going forward, you know, um, it kept us going right to, literally right to the bitter end. Um, and we always had belief in ourselves and even whenever the score went in against Saracens, we were, or sorry, when Saracens scored, we were still with four minutes to go, we were still talking very clearly about what we had to do. And, um, you know, we just had to say to ourselves, roll up the sleeves and keep going with what we've been doing. And we got the chance and obviously Henry knocked an incredible kick into the, you know, into the corner and... Then we got into what what is a strength of ours. We didn't get the score in the first half off the driving ball, but thankfully we got it right mm. at the end. I was going to ask. I was going to ask you about uh, about the responsibility for that. Are you glad you, you, you had, to, had, had, to, had to to bear the responsibility for making that touch find? Well, to be honest, now he was kicking to the side for a left footer, and he kicks the ball a lot further than I do. So, Fair uh, enough. It wasn't a difficult decision. I t- the thing is, I was saying to people. You know, it all seems in retrospect, but it's all gone well. Quite simple. You get a penalty, you kick it down there, you drive them all uh, from the line-out. But it was only so because it went right and everything, you know, but people did it right. Uh, there's a lot of things that could have gone wrong there. Um, and yet, uh, come the time, you actually got it right. And I thought, Jeff Parling, I, th- I, I, I wondered what he, would, what he would call from there, what he would call uh, you know, himself and so on. Was it a planned move to get backs involved, or did they just get too excited and couldn't keep themselves out of it? 
No, that was uh, very much, um, we just basically said, well, first and foremost, it was at the scrum. We all said, we said that went up to Jeff and said, Jeff, you have to win us a penalty here. And the scrum had been going so well in the game and we were quite confident that that could happen. So the forwards obviously got that first bit done. And then Henry's gave, you know, by putting us within six, seven metres or whatever it was, yeah. it meant that we, you know, just had to make sure we won the line out. And once that happened, I basically had said to a couple of our centres, lads, go hit that. <laughs> get, get us over, get as many bodies in there because it's not coming out of it. So get as many bodies in there and push well, it over if we can. As, so. as as a back, that's always going to be a planned move because we te- we is, tend yeah. to stay well we, away we from the big lads. <laughs> Going forward, um, do you care uh, that uh, or would you had a favourite opponent in the final? No, no, definitely not. I think. It's like I said, for ourselves, it was almost we were. We, it didn't bother us who we had in our home semi. It was just to have the home semi. Now that we're in the final, it, it doesn't matter because it's a final, and both teams are going to have to. You know, obviously, Wasps are coming off a big result as well. It was a tight game, so both teams are coming out of emotionally big games, um, real tight, close games. So we've got to get ourselves back up again. But I'm sure, you know, come Saturday afternoon, everyone's going to be buzzing, and uh, you know, hopefully, it'll make for a really good final. Well, there'll be a lot of work done, a lot of analysis, and um, obviously the coaches will be heavily involved, but so will the players. Where do you think you might look to get on top and what bear, what might bear fruit for you against uh, against Wasps? Well, I think, you know, we very much talked about sticking to what we do well, and, uh, you know, that's playing with tempo in the game. That's what Wasps like to do as well. They like to play with rugby, you know, and we like to do the same. So hopefully, you know... We've had some great fixtures against them right over the last two or three seasons, you know, right through our quarter-final of the European Cup, um, our couple of games, our semi-final last year. You know, so it's always a, a good a good game of rugby. We always tend to go at each other and tries tend to get scored. So for us, it's going to be, we've got to get ourselves, you know, mentally right to game. We've got to get our defensive game ready because we know they're going to come at us. But very much we're going to be looking to go and just play the game we've been playing for the last two, three months. And hopefully, if we can produce the performances, or produce a performance like we've been doing, you know, hopefully we can put ourselves in the best position to win the game. Well, I, th- I think uh, this is obviously the, uh, the, the the final that most people that have been watching uh, the Premiership throughout the season have been wanting. Uh, Wasps against Exeter with uh, with two fantastic backlines that like to run the ball, lots of skill, lots of pace. Um, and just going back to what Moro said there, if you if you're going to win it, do you think you're going to have to get that edge up front because both teams have got quality players, uh, ball handling players in the uh, in the packs? But is is that something where you think you're just going to have to drain their big boys and uh, and, and try and get the edge? Yeah, hundred percent. You know, it's it's like any game of rugby. I think you, your boys up front have to do the do the yards. Um, the boys out the back, we we can determine the scoreline. But I think uh, ultimately, who wins the match is the boys up front. And, We'll definitely be getting the boys. Will be getting themselves ready again physically. We'll have a bit of a good day, and tomorrow we'll run. Like, we'll obviously go through what the what the work ons are from the weekend. We'll put a plan together tomorrow about what we need to do going forward for the rest of the week. But um, you know, we're not going to change an awful lot uh, going forward. We, we we've played each other now numerous times, and we kind of know each other's strengths and weaknesses. So um, hopefully, again, you know, just like I said, we'll hopefully have a good week and get ourselves ready and uh, hopefully a big final. Gareth, I've mentioned this uh, before, the sort of uh, non-flash nature of Exeter, and I mean that in the, the right sort of way, um, you know, without having, uh, you know, megastars and galacticos and whatever. People like uh, Don Harmon, who, you know, just were uh, played fantastically 
Well, um, do you think they get enough credit? Your 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 not journeymen, but the people who are just seen as as, as extra regulars. Do you think uh, they are unlucky when it comes to representative honours? Oh, I, I do actually. Yeah, honestly, I think um, hopefully now it's going to change. You know, um, it's we're starting to get guys who are starting to pre- perform weekly um, and starting to play top top games. You know, when when you start playing in finals and you start playing in semi-finals, that's what's going to get you selected. Those are the games, you know, that that ultimately get you near test selections. And this is what we're hoping for as the club goes forward. You know, I think we're we're slightly now. I think we're being changed now the way we're looked upon. Mm-hmm. You know, we want to be seen as a top four team year on year, if not a top two team, challenging for the championship the championship every single year. Um, and I think now we're slowly getting ourselves into that position now, and you know, hopefully now going forward, we're going to see a lot more, especially of our young fellows who are coming through our academy systems, start making more, getting themselves into representative honours. You know, with Harry Williams, these guys starting to go away on these sort of tours, we're we're slowly getting more bodies in there. It's just hopefully now that, that there's going to be more in the future. We, we we mentioned earlier on in the show about uh, about Warren Gatland and about uh, the the influence that coaches have. Um, in a, in, a, in a couple of sentences, uh, Baxter, how, how important is he and, and how much of an influence has he been on, on yourself and the squad in getting that cohesion and, and, and getting that brand of, of, uh, of Chiefs rugby going? I think he's just, he's, he's sort of the culture out. He's got guys in who, you know, he understands will buy into what we are going to do um, and he just gets characters in that suit, the, suit what we do. And I think, uh, I think that's the most important thing. He's very good at just letting us go out and express ourselves. Obviously, you know, we do tend to play a, a, a good brand of rugby as well, a very attractive brand of rugby, and he doesn't really try to stop us from it. You know, he might, will rein us in if he feels we're going a wee bit astray, but, um, you know, that's that's the main thing. He just gives you the ultimate belief to go out and perform and produce the goods. Gareth, if you, if you do win, um, it will be a tremendous day for a club that has been grown organically in the right way. A lot of people would hold you out as... As a model, um, sort of experience in how to uh, consolidate what was a, a championship club throughout, without breaking the bank, without a, uh, a sugar daddy. So uh, the best of luck to you. Thank you very much, guys. Thank Good you. Luck, Take guys. care. Cheers, man. This is Brian Moore's full contact, and with me tonight is the former Ireland and Lions centre, Rob Henderson. I've just been passed a note by my green producer, uh, who is Scottish. Said Scotland beat England 12-7 in the London Sevens. Back-to-back champions. Now, you wouldn't ordinarily... I think we have to play tribute to Scotland on this because you wouldn't actually um, have backed them a while ago and England have had you know, significant resources. I was just saying earlier on, actually, Rob, the Sevens is so now so specialised that there's virtually no crossover, apart from now possibly when you're getting to Olympic year because people want to go to the yeah. Olympics quite naturally. But it, because in, in, in Sevens you do not have to have the physical you know, bulk that you have to have in 15s. Uh, even in the backs now, you need you, you need to, to have that. You know, Scotland, um, who are not, you know, as a race, as big, you know, as the Islanders and so on, that is, a, 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 a you know, a sport, the specialities of which they are probably, you know, much more suited to perhaps than, than your 15s physically. Well, I mean, we all know that um, Scottish rugby back in the day and, and and carried on into into present day was predominantly built on on, on ruck and run. So these guys yes. have all got engines, mm-hmm. they're all mobile, they've all got good hands and uh, and uh, and good pace. 
Uh, it's no surprise to me that uh, that they're actually performing well. Obviously, back-to-back champions uh, says it all. And Sevens as a brand is growing, and uh, and 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 I think for one that uh, it won't be that long until we get a, a Premiership Sevens competition running alongside. Mm-hmm. Because you're right, they are completely yeah. different athletes to the 15-a-side yeah. game. Thirty percent fitter is what uh, Rob Rickman said. That, now that's open to contention because people have come up with all sorts of objections to that, but but nevertheless, significant uh, athletes. Anyway, and we can now speak to uh, uh, an Irish expert, James Downey, the former Ireland Munster, Leinster and Wasp Centre, and we'll be speaking to him about the Proto... Good evening, uh, James. Good evening, Brian. How are you? I'm OK, mate. Now, um, Rob is an ex... Uh, Hi, know. James. How are you? <laughs> hey, Rob. How are you? Good yeah, good, mate. You. Good. He's got one point of view. We we were surprised. Let's take let's take the Scarlets fixture first. Um, we were surprised at that result. Were you? Oh, absolutely. I think the, the whole country was. It's one of those. The expectation was there all week, especially over here in Dublin, where um, everyone had been speaking about that. No one had lost a semi final before a home semi final. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it was like it was all going to be built up to be a Leinster Munster final, India Viva, like. You know, and then of course, Scarlett didn't read that script, and <laughs> I don't know. Maybe the Leinster boys didn't uh, weren't able to deal with that expectation, or, or, or you know, they're very disappointing in how they played. A lot of unforced errors at the start, but you've got to give credit to the Scarlets the way they came out and really got amongst them and and rattled the Leinster boys. And in the end, they really deserved it. Do you think some of the boys had their eye on the Lions? Um, I don't know. I don't know. Of course, it's in the back of their mind and they're maybe thinking about injuries and stuff like that. But once you're out in the field, Rob, you know, you kind of forget about these things. But yeah, yeah. I just think it was just, they were just frustrated, you know. And like, as I say, it was those unforced errors. No one near them knocking the ball on. And and, and the, as I said, the Scar- they just couldn't deal with the Scarlets at all. They were just rampant and the line speed they were putting them under. And they, they'd done their homework on their plays and I think they just frustrated him that much that even when you, when you see Johnny getting involved in some scuffles on the side of the pitch, you know you have them rattled and they just they couldn't turn it around. Hmm. Um, what was the mood when the uh, the red card came out? Um, personally, I thought now that this is that's it. I thought Leinster just started slowly and this will be it now, and uh, they'll change pace and they'll change gear and they'll really up it. But sometimes that red card can galvanise the side and. And brought the Scarlets closer together, and they worked so hard for each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and as I said, they, they turned everyone over, you know. And as I said, the crowd were expectant of a Leinster win, and that would probably have been the, that stage where they would have really turned the screw in them. But as I say, credit credit due to the Scarlets and how they dealt with that. Um, they didn't. I didn't think Leinster controlled it as well as they should have then when um, when the red card came out and. Um, as I say, all credit to the Scarlets. There's not much you can do when there's 14 men and they're working that, that hard for that long. That's right. I mean, most, most professional teams nowadays will do some training during the week and they'll just play with 14 against probably 16 just to, to make it harder than themselves. I remember playing in the Celtic final against Leinster for Munster and uh, Eric Miller got sent off. Um, and uh, and Leinster somehow galvanised themselves with 14 players and actually won that match. Um, so it's never that easy. Scarlets, though, I mean, are we are we doing them a slight disservice, the fact that they up their levels? I mean, they played some fantastic rugby on the night. Yeah, they did. I'll credit to them. But sometimes the frustrating thing with the Scarlets is you never know what team you're going to get, you know. And like, they've done very well this year, and I think uh, Wayne Pivich has been brilliant, and Stephen Jones as well. Um, some great attacking players they have, especially in their back line, like, Williams and DTH to have him on the bench as well, you know, and it just shows the firepower. But look, it's 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 one of those things that I think 
Scarlet is that frustrating team that that gets so far and you expect so much, but sometimes they let you down. And um, I'm delighted for them that they that they have produced uh, performances and it's going to make uh, one hell of a final. Uh, the, the Munster game, I um, expected Munster to win. I, pr- I probably expected them to win um, with a little bit more um, in reserve than 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 it actually turned out. It was twenty three three, but twenty three three more. Well, yeah, I Ospreys have, 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 you know, they've they've not been at the races in the last few weeks. I don't know what's, uh, you know, why that's uh, occurred, but uh, they, they 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 never seem to me to threaten Munster really with any sort of venom at all. No, no, I agree, and I think, as you say, the last couple of weeks they've kind of started and stuttered and spluttered their way into this semi-final, and their form hasn't been great and. I think it was good to have Alan and Jones back for them to galvanise them a, a small bit, but it wasn't the greatest game. You know, I think it was real kind of semi-final. The scoreline, I don't think, did it really justice because it was very close until the 60th minute. And obviously there was some one of the tries there, Zebo's try, was some unbelievable counter-attacking. But it's, it's from those errors, you know, it's from those errors of missing touch and, and not getting the right clearance. And you're giving that back three a bit of space where they can really exploit you. And, they were just Jospies were frustrating for me now to, to watch them at the weekend, and um, I think it's deservedly so. Monster went through. I mean, for me, it wasn't it wasn't that much of a surprise the uh, the actual result, uh, the scoreline twenty three three. I thought the Ospreys actually played well, and and they uh, they dominated possession, dominated territory, but they uh, ultimately looked a bit toothless. Yeah, I think so, and I think you know, like you know yourself, having played there, that if if. You, if you can keep the crowd quiet and keep keep the score close, you know you're in with a chance come to the end. And bigger, you know, if you can knock over those penalties, you're right in there. And it's just uh, just frustrating. They just didn't have that edge, as you say. They're toothless. That's exactly the words. You know, it's just didn't have that clinical finish in them. And it didn't look like they had it. James, um, the, an obvious question as a as a last one, but uh, uh, pertinent nevertheless. Who do you take for the final and why? Um. I'd like to see Munster. I think Munster now, especially with heart and head now, at this saying it. But I think Munster, for the year they've had, um, it's been a tough year for them, and they've really galvanised together and come together as a strong unit. I think Erasmus has been very smart tactically and how he's done things. Um, I'd, I'd still be fearful of that Scarlet's backline, but I think that Munster up front now will shade it. Um, they just have to be very careful how Tyler Blendenhall and, and Roy Scannon will kick corners and turn them because you don't want that Scarlet's back three uh, coming back at you. But I think uh, home crowd might just do it for them and everything on the line, obviously what will happen this year and she'll get them over. Well, I'm certain that a lot of the disinterested supporters will be uh, will be wanting that, but uh, we will see. Sport sometimes isn't fair, but on this occasion it might be. Thank you very much, James. Thanks, guys. Cheers, Jim. Time to speak to a man who um, has been doing nothing this weekend, absolutely nothing at all, which is he's not typical of him. He does usually get his finger out. Uh, Nigel Owens, you've had a week off, I understand. Well, I've been mowing the lawns, Brian. I've been looking at the cricket up in front of Berlin to support the cricket and have a pipe to do. So I've been doing something, but not the usual. No, you're right. Nigel, I think you must have RSI at this stage. I follow you on Twitter. <laughs> The um, I tell you what, how many you you have you really you rarely have much time to yourself, do you? I mean, and, and that's and that's sort of all year round. Yeah, the, 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 actually, probably Brian. This year is probably when I'll have the most time off. To be honest with you, for a while because um, um, I will go to um, 
to Argentina for to do one to referee one of the first tests against uh, against Argentina mm-hmm. England, and then I'm in touch with the second test, and I come home then on the 19th or 20th of June, and then I won't start back then, depending on my involvement. If I'm involved in the rugby championship, that doesn't start to the middle of August. So if I was involved in that at the beginning. I won't start back actually refereeing until probably a week before that. Now, if I'm not involved in the in the beginning of that, then I probably won't start back until I do a couple of them, maybe the pre-season friendlies toward the end of August. So it'll be a good break this year. But mm-hmm. the rugby season, for the referee, a bit different to the players. Now, obviously, don't get me wrong, we, we don't take the physical impact and stuff to the body that the, that the players take, but we probably spend uh, as much, if not more, time actually running on, on the field, the distance we covered, um, the, the mentality um, of refing a game as well can be very draining, and, and also a lot of the travelling, because where the players, depending on the country, for example, if in the Pro 12, then the players will travel a bit more than the players in the Aviva of the Top 14, for example, because they're travelling to other countries. Well, as we as referees in the Pro 12, we're pretty much away at least two, three, sometimes even four weekends in the month. So the season will start, let's say the normal season starts for us, end of August, pre-season friendlies, then depending on the international duty, and then it'll come to an end now in the middle of June. So it's, it's, it's a pretty long season, really. So it'll be nice to have a break when it actually all comes to an end, for sure. Uh, I tell you, that, um, when you're a player, you know, um, if you're honest, that is, when you're going through a bit of a lean time, you're just not quite there, you're not quite sharp. And there's certain things you can try and do to rectify that. One of them, in my position, was just to become much more aggressive, Um, (laughs) (laughs) which is always easy. But is it the same with refereeing? You know, that sometimes you get into a bad run, you you make a series of bad calls, and and if so, what what can you try and do about it? Yeah, no, you're 100% right. Um, You you, you get exactly the same as as a player in one sense, where if you look at, you know, look at the best players who've been about in the last decade, 15, 20 years even, there is no way that any single one of them, um, and I'm talking the best of the best here now, there's no way that any single one of them have played at the top of their game week in, week out. They'll have a, a game where they dip, and then you know another game maybe in a few weeks' time, or they'll go through a period of a couple of weeks. Some will go through a period of maybe a couple of months where, the, where their form is, is not where it used to be. And then, But obviously the great players will always get back there, and they all do it in a different way, whether it's rest, um, different type of training, um, the team actually turn things around as well, so you become part of that success or turn around as well. And it's the same for for referee as well, you know, and myself included. There'll, there'll be dips in the year. Um, if you're in a good form for for the season, it'll be, you know, the odd game here and there. Um, or you will hit that period where you get two or three games on the on the bounce that just just don't go well for you for any reason. That could be a lot of things. It could be a bit of luck, as we all need, you know, with a couple of decisions which you just couldn't get right uh, humanly, get right on the field, and you don't pick it up via the technology. You just get it wrong at the time. It could be then a lot of the tiredness, you know, the travelling, and, and that's when then I think you've got to sort of look at yourself then and say, look, you know, I'm, I really am tired now physically and mentally. I, I need, you know, a, a downtime now this weekend or next weekend or something and just either a weekend off or referee a local game where you're not travelling whichever way you want to do it. Um, and you do. There are things that, you know, you put in place to do that. Um, 
To be honest, I, I, I prefer to be out refereeing week in, week out. And that doesn't have to be in, in the Pro 12 or the Rugby Championship or Six Nations or, or European Champions Cup game. Um, as long as I'm refereeing, I, I enjoy refereeing. So if there had been games about this weekend in Wales, you know, a community game, a youth game or a schools game, I'd have happily enough gone along to referee one of those. But happened to be there wasn't much about. And, and I was glad to have a, a weekend off where I can do some things you don't get a time to do throughout the year as well. No, just a, a question that's just sprung into my head there. We spoke to uh, Gareth Steenson earlier on from Exeter and he was saying that the way that the club is playing now um, and, and the brand of rugby they're playing, they're attracting better players um, and, and they're developing from within. Now, obviously, for me, you're, you're one, of the, one of the greatest referees that our game's ever had. And is there a funnel of younger guys coming through on the back of the way that you organise games, that, that, that you actually manage these games, that, that actually want to emulate you and to, and to, and to come into, uh, into the pro reffing game? Um, well, first of all, thanks very much for your kind words. I'm, I'm really okay, you, you've compliments ne- very well. But, you, you've, but, you've never sent me off, Nigel. That really is very kind of you. Um, and... Yes, I suppose there is. There is, there is a huge influx of, of young referees, and not just here in Wales or anywhere else in the world. That went to eliminate me or any other. You know, there are young referees there, and I think Wayne Barnes is another very excellent and a great referee, as well as other referees in other countries as well. So, so yes, just the same as as young players want to eliminate. Uh, their heroes as players, there will be young people who will want to go into refereeing. Now, it may happen for very different reasons. Uh, injuries, not quite making the cut, that sort of the, the level they want to be as a player, but find, right, okay, I could do it as a referee. So there's a lot of different reasons, but there, there is. There's a huge amount of young referees. We've got a lot of young referees coming through the system here in Wales. I looked after the, the academy system in, in Wales here for quite a few years and bringing sort of, you know, young referees at 16, 17, 18, 20, 24 through and giving them some coaching and advice and stuff. And um, England have got a good crop of young referees as well as of the other countries as well. So there is a lot of people there who, who want to go into refereeing. The only thing I do tell the young referees, look, make sure refereeing is, there's got to be something special about you to, to be a referee because for you to go out there and referee week in, week out, and have people shout all kind of things at you. And, you know, when I was starting refereeing, driving home from refereeing up in the valleys in Wales in Gilvach on a Saturday afternoon with everybody baying for your blood, you're driving home mm-hmm. and had one of those games, it was a total nightmare, and you think just by chucking the boots away and just want to pack it all up. And um, so it is a special kind of person who will get through that and want to do that. And the only message I'll tell young referees, look, if you got it in you to become a referee, it is hugely, hugely rewarding and, and enjoyable. But, but make sure you go in it for the right reason. Go in it because for your love of the game. Don't go into it because, oh, I want to be on the telly like Wayne Barnes or like Nigel Owens or like John Lacey or anybody else, and I want to be seen in that like, like they do. Go into it, first of all, because of your love of refereeing, and everything else then will fall in place after that. Um, is there a, a sign of any um, increase in the number of um, high-level elite players wanting to to uh, turn yes, to the dark side. A, well, obviously, Alan Roland was the first sort of huge one, really, and went on to referee the World Cup final and become one of the one of the great referees in in the era that he was refereeing as well. And he came from you know two or three caps or even more, I think, it was for Ireland and from a professional playing background in, in Leinster as well. And then you had Glenn Jackson then, obviously, from Saracens, who went back into New Zealand and, and is refereeing at the very top of the game now. Um, and there's a couple of others. Oh, and I can't remember his name. Um, there's a guy refereeing on the Sems who played for England in the Sems circuit when I refereed the World Sems circuit back in the early, mid-2000s, who's refereeing now on the Sems. 
Um, you've also got the scrum half who's just finishing off in in Harlequins at the moment. Cold, um, cold who's going, yeah, who's going to go into into refereeing. Um, and then you got um, uh, Frank Murphy in in Ireland. Obviously, you played in in Leicester as well. Who's now refereeing in the Pro 12 as well. So yeah, there are quite a, quite a few referees now really who are coming from a sort of professional playing career and and going into into refereeing. And, and a few of them, as you've seen, are doing it quite successfully. Do as you well. do you think they have an inbuilt advantage, or is it one of these things where people get it wrong and think it's like commentary? People suddenly think because you've been a good player, you'll be a good pundit. And not necessarily true, actually. Does that well, apply to referees? Why, why, why are you um, looking at me, Boris? <laughs> 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 no, you're, you're like you look. Um, you know, you, you look at how many of the of the greatest players try to go into coaching and don't make it. Try to go into punditry and, and and don't make it. And it's the same for for refereeing, really. Um, it will give you a bit of advantage, I think, is that if you've been at that level again for a very very long time, at the very top of it. You'll have a lot of knowledge of the game. So what it will, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to get to the very top of refereeing, but it does allow you to get to the level of your ability a bit quicker because you've already been involved in it in playing at the professional end. So when a young referee starts to say at 20 years of age, it may take him a couple of years longer to reach the top, if you like, than a and a player who's just finished to reach the top because he's got that experience of playing at that level already. But you'll only make it to the top if you've if you've if you've got it anyway. Look, yeah. at the, I, you know, a lot of I my, myself, I didn't play. I played in school at 16 years of age and was a very very poor and awful fullback. In all honesty, Wayne Baz didn't play. He went into refereeing. Clive Nolling never played, and went into to refereeing. So you don't have to be a great player or a quality player to become a, a referee. But if you've either got it or you haven't, and it doesn't matter really what more background you come mm. from then. Mm. I think you do have uh, an advantage in your cynical enough. Um, because <laughs> that's it. Yeah. No, quite that's, seriously. That's probably true. Quite seriously. Um, when I did my uh, referee, I only to referee two or three games a year and uh, usually little charity matches, so it's, not, it's not, not difficult. But it was a big difference between the people who'd, who'd played at some level and say the people who uh, were doing it for good reasons, you know, wanted to contribute at school level or yeah. wanted to ref mini rugby or, or came from a teaching background who, who weren't there. In that, you know, I used to say to them, don't look at that law. I said, well, why not? He says so-and-so. I said, nothing's going to happen there because they can't get anything from that. You know, they won't get any advantage there. They're not, they're not going to cheat there. Um, and and as, a, as a player, you definitely know where those flashpoints are. Uh, and what you might or might not look at. Nigel, thank you very much. Um, what, what have you say you've got next week? Um, I, don't know, um, I don't know where I am this weekend at the moment. I haven't got um, anything. And if, I, if I'm not refereeing this weekend, I will be playing a game of cricket for Ponteberham seconds, and I'm only playing because they are short. Oh, you, what, you, what, what do you do? Do you turn your arm over? Are you a batsman? Or you... No, I will be the furthest out on the, on the boundary <laughs> and the closest to, to the cricket club door where I can get a, a pint when I, when I, when I can. Um, and I will be the last man bowling if they need me, and I'll probably be the last man batting as well. But I will try to influence the umpire in some way or form. Fair enough. Okay, <laughs> we'll speak, to you. speak to you All again soon. Cheers, Dinah. Cheers, bye bye. In association with QBE Business Insurance, principal partner of the British and Irish Lions, supporting the team behind the team. It's competition time now, and we're giving you another chance to win a signed rugby ball by our studio guests, thanks to QBE Business Insurance. You could be the proud owner of a ball signed by Peter Winterbottom. Tom Court, Jeff Probin, Rob Henderson and myself. All you have to do is go to the Telegraph website. That's www.telegraph.co.uk. 
uk forward slash rugby hyphen union or just search the hashtag full contact and fill in your details there's no rugby knowledge required so you've got an even chance of winning i would say but you have to get your entries in uh, before midnight on monday the 29th of may to stand a chance of winning so get to it time now super rugby we were told we were asked a question why is super rugby uh, such a different product why does it look so different from Northern Hemisphere Rugby. Perhaps we could ask our next guest, because he's played in both hemispheres. He's a former South African Worcester Gloucester fullback, Tinas Delport. Good evening, Tinas. Good evening. There you are. Good evening, Tinas. That's very good, and it is very good to hear you back on the radio. It's great, and it's great to hear you back on the radio. <laughs> ah, there we go. Tinas, why, why, why do you think the products look uh, different? Indeed, do you think they look different? Yes, I certainly, well, it does look different. I experienced it, that the, the type of game being played in the Southern Hemisphere on the Super Rugby is a different type of game. It's a different emphasis on, um, you know, on producing a watchable brand of rugby. There's always a lot of pressure, especially on the traditional South African type of game we've played historically to adapt and have a bit more of a ball-in-hand approach to to make it an att- more attractive for the supporters to, to watch. Mm-hmm. Most importantly, um, there's a lot of weather implications. Um, you know, unfortunately, uh, or fortunately for the Southern Hemisphere, we don't have the same constraints in terms of the weather, mid part through the season especially. And then, of course, there's no promotion relegation. So, um, you know, the, the, the players don't play with that, that burden on their back about having to win and having to survive. Um, um, until until recently, before they announced the the, um, the the competition being shortened by or lessened by teams, um, if you didn't if it didn't work out this year, then uh, just restart, reboot, and you start again next year. Mm-hmm. So um, there, there are quite a few factors that play play towards um, you know towards the southern hemisphere, the Super Rugby probably being a bit, bit more open and a bit more uh, a faster paced game. Uh, well, we always try to feature. Uh, one of the different continents um, in uh, Super Rugby and uh, South Africa, obviously, is going to be all 40. Good win, uh, Stormers. 30 points to 22 over the Blues. Yeah, fantastic win for the Stormers. I think um, after quite a promising start to the season, um, they um, they fell foul of um, of the New Zealand conditions and touring out in New Zealand. Pretty much uh, what the Lions, all Lions supporters can expect when they go out to New Zealand. And they quite, they found it quite tough, uh, their competition in New Zealand. Um, they're back in, back in Cape Town, back at Newlands, um, in front of the, the Stormers faithful. Um, and they were able to, to scrape a win and, and really come back, work really hard and come back and, and, and get that win. You know, the, the, the negative part or the, the pressure part for the Stormers this year is, of course, that they have the New Zealand side yes. um, in, their, in their part of the playoffs when the pool stages where teams like the Lions and the Sharks um, don't have the New Zealand sides and the Jaguars, they only play against the Australian sides um, you know, the, this year. So it does make it so much tougher on, on, the, on the, that pool playing facing the New Zealand sides to get those results. Tinas, just a just a point from me here. We're talking about the uh, the different brand of rugby and uh, and obviously the excitement and the tries scored and uh, and the general skill levels that that go on, go on in uh, in the Southern Hemisphere. I mean, obviously the Sharks beat the Sunwolves quite convincingly at the weekend, thirty eight seventeen. 
How do you build yourself up to go and play against the Sunwolves? Is it looked upon as uh, this is something that we're going to do for a season or two and it might not happen again? Uh, or do you actually go down there with the belief that it's going to be a competitive match? No, you have to prepare yourself be it being a competitive match. Last year, the Sunwolves turned over the Stormers. Um, they ran them close. Um, you know, you can't, you can't go into any match expecting that it's going to be an easy one, especially if you, if you have to travel to that side. Um, you are gonna, you are gonna slip on the banana peel, and and they might come and sting. You know, the Sunwolves probably won't be um, a team pushing for playoff situ- uh, playoff positions for a very long time, but they can, and they have so shown that on their day they can they can turn it over. And you know, with the format, it is so important to have home um, home advantage when you do come to the playoff system. So um, you have to be able to raise yourself for every game to get the maximum possible points if you want a favourable draw in the, in the playoffs. Well, one, one team that is highly likely to be in the playoffs, if, if, well, if not with the best chance of, uh, of winning for South Africa, Lions still going strong, 50 points past the Bulls. Now they're a better team, but that's, that's, that was quite impressive as well. Yeah, very impressive by the Bulls and, of course, um, by the Lions, but massive concerns for the Bulls. You know, you look at their... You look at the performance this season, and um, you know it's 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 been very very much below par. They've they've had losses against um, you know in the derby matches. Um, they've been you know they've been put on the back foot by the Lions a couple of times. Basically, by the Lions playing a New Zealand style brand of game, you know high intensity, uh, moving the ball around, and and you know tiring the traditional Bulls players um, as much as they've tried to develop. A more ball in hand approach. It's not going to happen in a season, so they'll have to they'll have to take you know take the the, the punch on the chin and and say let's just keep with this new direction we want to go in, um, and hopefully next season it will be better. But you know this is why what we mentioned earlier on, they will have potentially have a a, a chance to reboot the next the next start again. Although um, there's you know there's been the talks of the two South African science sides being axed. Um, in, the, in the new version of the Super Rugby that's coming about. Tinis, do you think that Super Rugby and the way that it's played and the, and the desire of players and supporters and sponsors alike to have this expansive free-flowing ball pinging around the park rugby, do you think that's having a massive, drastic in- impact on the box? Yeah, you know, there's a, there's a lot of things that factors that play uh, play into the box um, this year, struggling a bit. Um, you know, you've, we've had the exodus of a lot of potential, a lot of um, experienced players overseas, a lot of guys that's probably not Springboks but experienced Super Rugby and Curry Cup players also um, coming over to the Northern Hemisphere and, and looking to apply their trade over here because of the economic factors. You know, unfortunately, the rand um, is, is very, you know, is very weak at this stage against uh, the Euro. And the pound, so perfect if you want to go and travel down and be a tourist down in South Africa, but not so much if you're <laughs> earning rands. Mm. So, hence these guys are coming out of South Africa and playing in in the second and third division of France, maybe the second division of, of or playing the Italian league. So, not necessarily for them to um, better themselves and improve their rugby, but mainly looking after you know the financial implications of the games because because it is such a short time they can earn earn money. So that you know that all. Um, has an effect. We have really experienced players playing over here. Do they get a break? You know, you look at a guy like Francois Lowe, Dwayne Vermeulen. They'll they'll play a very demanding Northern Hemisphere season, which is much tougher than Southern Hemisphere rugby. And then they go straight into um, you know the junior internationals, 
the rugby championship, they come back and they back into mm-hmm. premiership or top 14 and, and the European competition. So these guys, no matter how good you are and how great a player you are, you cannot sustain that level of intensity uh, for such a long time. Well, Tinas, um, when do we get to, uh, uh, let's say 12, 12 games now, when do we get to the, 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 the point at which we're going to sort out the, uh, the, various, uh, the various playoffs and so on? Well, it's, it's unfortunately now the break, the, the way the system has, has uh, been put in place, the break for the junior internationals for the Lions um, touring out in, in, in New Zealand. So the next, you know, the next week or two or next week really is, is very important. The, the race for, for that first spot on the overall table mm-hmm. is, is essential, especially for the Lions. Mm-hmm. You know, the Lions this season haven't played any New Zealand uh, competition um, so they only, effect, you know, really going to reach New Zealand opposition come come the playoff stages, and mm-hmm. potentially it's looking like the Highlanders. So the Highlanders will have to travel over. Mm-hmm. But for them, if they do, if they do go forward, they need to be playing a home final at Ellis Park. Yeah. We saw last year when they had to travel, they they had the unfortunate uh, decision to travel away to uh, the Jaguars in Argentina, come back, play a game, and then have to travel. To, um, to Wellington to face the Hurricanes. And you could see the guys were unsettled. They were a bit travel fatigued uh, and they didn't perform. For them, they need a home final. If the Lions stand a chance, um, they need to, to finish top. The Crusaders, scintillating form 12 out of 12. Um, you look at the opposition coming up. I think they only have to play the Highlanders that could face them a, a real threat. They have a couple of Australian sides um, also in the final couple of games. So, you know, that's, the Lions will have to do their utmost to, to try and get maximum points yeah. um, out of all the remaining games. And, you know, effectively, they're the only real South African uh, team at this stage that can that can uh, or have a, have a shot at the title. The Stormers will have to keep on improving, but they've had the experience of New Zealand competition and they've not been able to, to really perform. I mean, they were, they were put... Puts uh, under a lot of pressure, even in this Blues games earlier on, mm-hmm. uh, and then had to come back. So, um, at the moment, it only really looks like the Lions. Um, that's a real title contender for for the South African sides. Well, we will see. Tina, thank you very much. Tremendous as always. Take care, Matt. Great stuff. Thanks, guys. Appreciate Cheers, it. Time now to uh, switch codes to the great game of rugby league, and uh, I'm really pleased that we can speak to uh, the rugby football league's rugby director, Kevin Sinfield. Good evening, Kevin. Good evening, Brian. Now then, what is it like being an Akadu and an administrator? <laughs> I'd much rather be a player still. <laughs> yes, I'm sure you would. I'm sure, I'm sure you wouldn't mind being back for another magic weekend. How How's it gone, do you reckon? Yeah, it's been fantastic. I think um, the players need to take all the credit. I think what they've served up on the field has been outstanding again. Um, as you know, it's pretty unique in, in sport to have all the teams from one division come together and, and play over a weekend. And um, it's, it's been a real carnival atmosphere again. It's been really well supported. Um, it's a great family weekend. And we've had some terrific performances on the field and some brilliant results. So um, a great weekend all round. Kevin, hi, it's Rob here. How are you doing? All yeah, right? not too bad. And by the way, I am delighted to be speaking to you because I've been watching you on the rugby league field for many, many years and uh, and it's oh, an absolute privilege for me to speak to you. Um, yesterday, there was um, obviously the, uh, uh, the the result for me that stands out was Hull against St Helens. Um, stand, yep. Stands out for two reasons. Obviously, 45 to nil, but what a rascal of a kit. Yeah. 
Yeah, well, some of the kits this week <laughs> over this weekend have been fantastic with uh, you know the Marvel superheroes um, yeah. behind uh, the majority of the kits that have changed this weekend. But I think you're right. Um, I don't think anybody saw that score line between no. Hull and St. Helens. Mm. And I think um, sort of Hull have gone under the radar a little bit again this year. Um, but they've been sat in second spot and uh, performing really, really well. And I, and I think because of how St. Helens performed last week in the Challenge Cup in particular, I think everybody expected it to be a one-sided victory um, in the favour of Hull. Well, Justin, Justin, yeah, Justin Holbrook's come in. Um, he can't have had much time to to work with them, and he saw the previous week, you know, the way that uh, they got you know dismantled. What I don't, I tell you what, Kevin, I don't understand is uh, so rugby teams, any any team that's got quality, they usually do not dip below a certain level, and if they get beaten, then it, they're going to get beaten, but they're not going to get absolutely crucified. Um, and yet, in in super league this season we've seen you know several teams you know concede you know seven eight tries then score seven eight tries and and that just doesn't happen is there any explanation for that um i think momentum is proven to be more and more important in the game and um i think we're seeing that a lot more brown actually sort of back to back to back tries yeah where people are receiving the ball again from scoring and and suddenly can run 100 meters and now, you, you could say that the defensive team, is, is that a lack of concentration or is it just a willingness of the attacking team to play? And, and um, I think it's probably a mixture of both. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think some of the quality this year in handling skills in particular has, has gone up another level again. So um, some of the performances have been outstanding. I think Castleford, who are, who are, are on the way to a, another victory against Leeds this year, Yep. Um, they've been a standout team because of the style of rugby they play. They keep the ball alive. They ask a lot of questions of defences. I tell you, they, they do it in a composed way. So it, yeah, um, it, it seems to me if you you know if you have to defend successive sets, you you might you might well be in trouble against certain teams. Very much so. And I think the mark of a true a true team this year will be: can you defend your own line yep. for two or three sets of six? And yep. and as we're finding this year. The better teams can do it, but there are teams that are collapsing pretty quickly and, and conceding try after try. Well, I'll be perfectly honest with you, Kevin. If I was playing rugby league, even when I was at the height of my physical fitness playing rugby union, I'd need a defibrillator every set of six because you guys are fantastically fit. And the emphasis seems to me have switched from defensive line to, to actually that that uh, penetration, that looking for space, and that um, it, it's more attack orientated for me, just from my brief uh, looking at the game this season. I mean, would would you think that's the case? Um, I, do you know what? I'd love to think so. Um, I think the game has had become very defensive orientated, and, yeah. I, and I think um, ultimately it's a sport, and people want to go and watch because it's entertaining. But also as players, you want to be part of an entertaining brand, an entertaining style of rugby league. So I think where it's gone to this year, and I have to say, uh, again, I'm going to give Castleford a wrap. I think they're at the heart of it because mm-hmm. of the style that they're playing, and because of the winning games convincingly by playing that style I think everybody's got a little little taste of it and think well if they can do it why can't we so um, I think there's been some other teams now especially as well hopefully we get the drier weather to come throughout these summer months mm. um, there'll be other teams that chance around a little bit more and we get to see that free flowing rugby that we all want to see whether you watch rugby league or rugby union mm. you want to see that ball thrown about and some great handling skills and some, some brilliant tries at the end of it 
Can we? Can you? Can you answer me this? The 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 use the use of the deep ball. You know, when the ball is moved, being moved wide, the two runners are in front, and the ball is is, is to a third man who's coming much more. That's relatively relatively new to rugby union, but it's it's not it's not new to rugby league. When you see that done, is that always a um, prescribed uh, move, or is it done now just completely naturally off the cuff and? You know, whenever it's people just run those lines because of instinct. Um, it'd probably be a mixture. So um, within practice, um, those set plays will be run, mm-hmm. and everybody will know their role within um, either a set or a single play. But I think within that as well, within the actual game, when um, your halfbacks are piecing sets together, they will call little combinations of players um, that will uh, that will make bigger men get in position quickly and mm-hmm. run those type of plays you're talking about. So it'd be a combination. Um, sometimes um, the style of a team might be completely different and it's all about making metres and going forward. Other teams try and do exactly the same, but with more deception, a bit mm-hmm. like you're talking about. So it'd be a combination of the two. Um, we just, we've got very difficult to uh, have a rugby league section and not mention Wigan with the history that uh, they've got. But um, a bit of a... An unusual story, uh, isn't it, um, that you've got uh, repeat contracts being announced by a former world heavyweight? Yeah, I, I saw this <laughs> yesterday. Yes. I saw this yesterday and uh, it did make me smile. I think um, at, at times rugby league is pretty innovative. innovative sorry. And um, I, I just think they the captured something there that was, yeah. was pretty special and I think um, fair play to Evander Holyfield as well for taking part yeah. um, he probably didn't have a clue at first when he received the tweet who Wigan Warriors were but the no. fact that he's he's got involved and it would not surprise me in the next 12 months if we see him at one of the games so, No that would be great um, actually wouldn't it? For those of you who don't know this is Evander Holyfield the former uh, heavyweight champion who who mistook um the the announcements uh, for Wigan Warriors for an NBA team that he that he, he supports uh, the Golden State uh, Warriors and it just came out wrong but then I think he's become a follower uh, on Twitter and social media and I think uh, yes I'm sure he will do and I'm sure he'll come over and he'll be impressed by the professional attitude and the fitness of the athletes so that can only be to the good Kevin. Um, what do you, Kevin? As rugby director, we we were Rob and I were just saying, at what point are you going to have another crack at, get, at getting um, a London franchise or London team? Franchise is a horrible word. Yeah, that that is probably um, above my head. Actually, that mm-hmm. is for some people who are far smarter than me at the RFL. <laughs> but what I would say is, um, you know, the London Broncos have still got um, a foothold in, in the capital. Um, they're currently playing out of Ealing, and um, I think there's a lot of work gone into the capital, especially mm-hmm. with development in and around schools. Mm-hmm. And the actual numbers are, are pretty impressive. So um, hopefully, it won't be too long before we get a London franchise, a London side back in the, the Super League. Although at this moment in time, I think they'd have to do it on their own merit and, and come through um, the middle eights and win a million pound game. So. Um, Watch your space, I'd probably say. Oh, and just actually, just finally, what about a magic weekend to London? Well, possibly. I think anything is, is open for next year. I think um, 
it's been my first year as a spectator to um, a Magic Weekend, and and I've thoroughly enjoyed it. I've been really, really impressed by um, what an atmosphere it is, what a carnival it has been, what a festival it's been. Because normally you've got you, you're playing hat on and you you're focused and you think about it completely differently. So mm -hmm. to be there and see it all over the weekend has been great. I know that no decisions have been made at this stage of where it will be hosted next year, but Newcastle has been fantastic for me. Mm -hmm. um, I'm, some decisions will get made again above my head. Yep. But um, possibly London, possibly um, Liverpool. You know, if you, if you look around the country, there's some great opportunities in some big stadiums, and mm -hmm. I think that was the beauty of taking it to St James's Park. It's it's a fantastic stadium. It's right in the heart of Newcastle, so fans get the best of both worlds, and and it's been a real, real big success again. Well, we will see, um, Kevin. It's uh, it's a, an honour, a pleasure to speak to you. Thank you very much, mate. No, well, thank you. Thanks for having me on. Thanks. We're very nearly at the end now, Rob, which you'll be pleased about. I don't know, you might not be pleased, but uh, let's look forward to finals. Uh, Pro 12 first. Pro 12 final, oh well, with my biased head on, uh, clearly I'd like uh, I'd like to see a monster victory. I think if uh, if the Scarlets play as well as they did at the RDS, it'll be, uh, it'll be a very exciting close mm -hmm. game, but I can just see that that impetus that Munster have got from this season carrying them over the line in what should be a tight match. Uh, funnily enough, um, the the emotional impact uh, of what happened uh, to Anthony Foley, you, the effectiveness of that is going to decrease over time because it can't be raw all the time. But I still think it will last for this this season, and I think it's a significant factor. Do you, what do you, what do you think about that? Do you think it's a, that's right? Well, I, th I think it. I think it is, and it's not just the um, the, the mark of the respect that the uh, rugby communion around the world has has for um, uh, for Anthony, but also the fact that uh, it, it's galvanised people to know that actually we are we're here for a, a finite amount of time, mm -hmm. and it, uh, it it could be taken away from you. So you've got to relish that opportunity. You've got to take your chances, and obviously with uh, with the big fellow over your shoulder, mm -hmm. there is an extra an extra shunt towards the finish line. And and I think that the boys have totally bought into that, and and the type of community that uh, uh, the rugby community, not just the Munster community, yeah. has, has rallied round. And I think it's a huge boost for the players. And it would be, as I said earlier on, it would be a fitting end to the uh, to to what's been. Uh, a, a great finish to the season for the boys. Yeah, in a way, um, it's not it's not great for Scarlets, is it? You know, every neutral is going to be wanting this fairy tale end, and um, but I suppose all you can do is say, listen, you know, we are entitled to our day in the sun as well, and we're going to do. Everything we can, you wouldn't expect us to do anything else, would you, in a professional game? Absolutely not. The Scarlets will be going there, especially after the last weekend's performance. With every belief that they can go over and uh, and turn another uh, province over in in the backyard and uh, and and as a professional team you'd fully expect that for for them to to come a flag bear for for Wales, um, they'll be doing exactly what they 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 have done in the past. They've got an unbelievable backline. They've got quality players all around and. Uh, um, and as uh, Jimmy said earlier on, we do not want to give the back three that much space. Mm -hmm. um, but they've still got to overcome what's going to be a passionate 50,000 crowd at the Aviva, an yeah. emotional moment and a, and a very, very strong and committed mm -hmm. Munster side. Well, hopefully there'll be a, um, an 84,000 crowd at, at Twickenham for the uh, Premiership final. And 
Well, let's have your thoughts first, then I'll then I'll chip in my bit. Okay. Well, fortunately, in this final, I've, uh, I've another former dog in the in the yeah. fight as well, <laughs> yeah. uh, having played uh, for five seasons with Wasps. Uh, I mean, Wasps have got an outstanding team. They've got ball players across the paddock, one to fifteen, but so have Exeter. Um, and I would. My head would love Wasps to win. Mm-hmm. Um, top of the pile, I think you deserve to win the grand final and uh, and I think that would be a fitting um, a fitting way to end the season. Uh, but romantically, I love everything that uh, Mr Baxter has done down with the Chiefs. I love the fact that the team have galvanised over the past few years. They're not um, a kick-ahead, any-head team. They've got a bit of guile, they've got pace, they've got skill, and clearly they've got dedication and commitment, and uh, and it would be actually quite romantic for them, having failed last season, mm. to, to go there and uh, and take that trophy down to the southwest. Um, my thoughts, you know as well as I do, quite often... Uh, in sport in rugby, you learn more from when you lose than when you win. Mm. The experience of losing in a final is horrible, but it does teach you what is actually needed in a way that you might not realise if you've not been to a final at all. Wasps have got some tremendous players. They've got tremendous quality, and they've got players who've played you know, all over the world and in very significant games. But as a team, they've not gone through the crucible that uh, Exeter had to go through when they were quite well beaten by Saracens last year. And I think Exeter will have learned a lot as a team from that. And I think that that might stand them in good stead. I've seen Wasps this season on occasion when they've been put under pressure, not quite have the answers as a team. You know, and and being playing as individuals of of notable and outstanding quality, nevertheless. But I think it's I get the feeling that exit Exeter's time. Um, it might it, it could be very close. I could be wrong, but that's just a feeling I have. I think if it's the same uh, Wasp team that or Wasp performance that travels to Twickenham, that played against Harlequins on a Friday night, then well, yes. then, uh, then there's only going to be one winner on the day. But uh, as you say, uh, Wasps have got big star players across yeah. the paddock, and uh, whatever it is, I'm sure it will be in a fantastic game. Absolutely, I'll be I'll be glued to both. Yeah. Okay, that's the end of the show. You've been listening to Brian Moore's Full Contact in association with the Telegraph and QBE Business Insurance. Many thanks to my co-host Rob Henderson for joining me in the studio this week. And as always, to our producer, Abby Patterson, who's happy because Scotland have won the sevens. And fair play. Next week, our co-host will be Gavin Mayers because um, I'm in for a significant operation. So um, let's hope uh, I'm around to, uh, to speak to you fairly shortly. Remember, you can get in touch with us throughout the week via the hashtag Full Contact. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and leave us a review. Thank you. Good night. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? 
Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 